This is the fourth and final message of a multi-part series on living a focused life. We begin by looking at the word of God as revealed through God's word, which is the Bible. We concluded that in order to live a focused life that is based on guidance, instructions, and even the warnings of God, because those are all included, we certainly must recognize the Bible as an authoritative revolution, revelation of truths about him. Two weeks ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit and its role as helper, advocate, intercessor, presence of God, and the spirit of truth. We concluded that when living a life that is focused on the power of life and the spirit, we have two divine intercessors. One of them is in heaven at God's right hand, Jesus Christ, and the other is very close to us, the Holy Spirit, who now dwells in us, the comforter sent from God who lives in our hearts. And last week we looked at the church, and that is the global body of Christ's followers, not just Golden Beach Community Church or First Christian of whatever, but the church as established by Jesus Christ and the early apostles. And we concluded that living a life that is focused on this church means that we are being united as an integral part of a family. We honor the parent, right? We respect our brothers and sisters. And we joyfully, we get involved individually in the family business of saving souls. And I hope you took time this week to watch the video that I recommended so you could hear the additional thoughts of Pastor Josh Morris on the topic of church. His commentary and scriptural lessons gave us a lot to talk about during our midweek study this week. And this week we're talking about what it means to live a life focused on prayer. We aren't going to get into a lot of the details about what to say because prayer is a very, very personal thing. To that point, I, I volunteer to speak on topics virtually for several urban school districts. And if any of you have an interest in this, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And I, I enjoy it. The classes seem to get a lot out of it. And, and I like to think it gives the teachers a bit of a well-deserved break, even if it's only for 30 or 40 minutes or so. But especially with the elementary classes, the time always ends the same way. The teacher says, class, what do we say? And in unison, these 20 to 30 little elementary kids go, thank you, right? And I, I'm sure they appreciate it. But, but it's, it, you know, there's something that's lost a little when you're prompted to do that, right? right. So it's, it's interesting to note a very slight difference between Luke's and Matthew's accounts of the Lord's Prayer. In the Gospel of Luke, and this is found in chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And records that Jesus' response was, say this, okay, as if, quote. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's found in chapter 6, we find a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a, a wonderful dissertation uh, that Jesus gives. And he's speaking to the crowd, and he's ga they've gathered to hear him. And as a part of this, he says, pray like this, okay? So, so people... Can, can take that in, in a couple different contexts. So once again, we find ourselves applying our own interpretation to the words of Scripture. Is this a prayer to recite from rote, or is it just a model of the way we should pray? In either case, what Scripture has revealed about us, about the nature of God, is that He loves us. He wants us, or He loves us and wants a personal relationship with us, and that means that He wants to hear from you. And he wants you to pray. So regardless of how you specifically interpret the wording introducing us to the Lord's Prayer, we can see that the prayer has a begin invocation, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? We're, we're honoring God. 
And this is followed by six petitions or appeals that give proper priorities. The first three focus on the preeminence and sovereignty of God, while the final three focus on the personal needs of us, right, in a community context. So think about that the next time you you, um, say the Lord's Prayer or look at it. But as we talked last week about the community of the church as a unified body of believers, I presented both the Apostles and the Nicene Creeds for you to consider from their respective perspectives. One says, I believe, right? I believe. This is the Apostles' Creed. And, and the Nicene Creed says, we believe. And in context, they're very similar. So they weren't, you know, competing with each other. One is a personal statement of belief. I believe. But there's another very powerful statement when in the Nicene Creed when we say we believe these things. We collectively, uni- you know, with unity believe these things. You see, church, there is power in our words, both individually and when spoken in unison. And that's why many of the elements of our church service are the way they are. We have a scripture reading. We have a responsive reading as we, we respond to the, the lay ministers speaking over us and the lay leaders speaking over us. And we, we sing these hymns and we try to make the words our own, whether it's of, of worship or of, of whatever that may be. You know, um, this the song we just finished with, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I pulled the sheet out because I was thinking through the words I was doing. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Whew. Boy, I think I've got a lot of stuff. He's carrying mine and yours, all that, right? What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. A privilege? It's a privilege to carry these things in prayer. It's a joy to pray for other people. It's a privilege because we have a relationship with him. We can take these things to him, right? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why are we trying to shoulder this stuff? Just those words, even though I, I laid that song out to go with this message a couple weeks ago, as we're going through that, I'm like, boy, that's really, there's a lot more to it than just singing those, those handful of notes we're so familiar with. I lost my place. Okay. So I'm not going to talk about what to say in prayer. Rather, I want you to understand the importance of prayer as being something that you actually do and do with intentionality. Two weeks ago, as a part of the same message series, we were reminded that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to act as intercessor in our prayers. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says this. This is Paul's letter to Romans. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Where our own words fall short, like we're so, whatever, we just don't know what to say here. The Spirit bridges that gap as if to say, I know what you need, I know what, what you think you want, and I know what God's will is. So let me, let me take this from you and, and, and put this together on your behalf. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us in these prayers. But this does not let us off the hook for our own responsibility in prayer. Just as we were reminded last week as we talked about the church listening to Pastor Morris's commentary, we have an important part to play in the lives of those around us. He was very direct in saying that we need the church. <coughs> Excuse me. We need the church, meaning we, each other. We need each other to be here. And the church 
needs us individually because we each have various gifts and talents and abilities and, and experience and such that we bring to church, right? And the Apostle Paul likened this to many parts of one body, each with its specific function. The body cannot properly function without all of its parts doing what they were created to do. So when we, when we claim to come together in unity as a church, but we don't engage in worship, and we don't share our gifts or support others through our prayers, then we're, we're shirking in an important responsibility in foregoing that privilege. We're robbing others of the great power of prayer support and missing the blessing of being a part of a vital congregation. You know, he actually, Pastor Morris, he, he was pretty direct. He said, you know, there was a time and place where we had to do all this remotely because and people would say, hey, I, you know, I, I get my church from, from the internet. And he said, that's great, but you know what? The church needs you too. All the stuff you bring to it, and all the people in here get something from you being there too. So don't withhold that from everybody else because it's not just about what the church can do for you, but what you can do for others in the church. That was one thing that, that caught me off guard. I hadn't thought of that. I was the same way. I'm like, oh, you know, we have a way to listen online. That's great. People are still connected, but you know what? There's something more about being here. James 5.16 says this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Don't you want that for yourself, for those that you care about? The great power of a righteous person praying for you. But who among us is righteous? This is where we get hung up, right? None by our own accord but everyone's by his. He's made us righteous. He's given you the power of prayer. We pray in his name. That's the, that's the power of prayer. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. So if you're waiting for the prayers of a righteous person, you're either gonna be really disappointed or really surprised who that really is. So pray. And remember that we are encouraged to do this for and with each other. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Boy, there's something about knowing that someone is right next to you in life, praying for you, encouraging you, supporting even if it's just quietly. And this kind of support goes all the way back to the beginning of the church when Peter was in prison for continuing the work of Jesus. This is in Acts 12. I'll read it. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, right? It wasn't just done with Jesus because God is bigger than Jesus, Right? Religion is, is not about one man or anything like that. So, so Jesus came to start a mission, and he's in heaven continuing this, and he's left us and, and to, to continue the work uh, among those who are the, the apostles. So I bet Herod's a little disappointed and frustrated that, that Jesus is gone, but Jesus isn't really gone. So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of leavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Well, because the last time they tried to kill someone, they came back to life, right? <laughs> but Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was encouraged by the prayers of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And God answered those prayers. So you see, a person that lives a life that is focused on prayer has some common characteristics as well. 
they obediently pray without ceasing. Now, this isn't incessant talk, right? This isn't just, you know, I'm sure God would love to hear from all the time, but, but that's not what it's saying. It's about a lifestyle of prayer. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Now, I don't think this is a checklist of, of do this and do this. I think these are examples. This is my, my opinion. I think these are examples of being constant prayer, right? Consider the alternate wording. If you want to rejoice in hope and find patience in tribulation, then be constant in prayer because these are the result of being constant in prayer. James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We don't just pray for, for the things we want and we need. We, we pray and we celebrate and we pray for other people. In fact, you know, we probably can all think of a friend that we only hear from when they need something, right? Let's not be Jesus' friend that only he only hears from when he needs something. But I would say that praying without ceasing suggests a mental attitude of prayerfulness, uh, a continual personal fellowship with God, right? God, you're with me everywhere I go, and I recognize that. So you're always on my mind. Even if I'm not talking to you, I'm, there's an awareness, an awareness of being in his presence throughout each moment in our lives. Now, I'll tell you, if you feel a little conviction in that, then maybe you're doing some things or thinking some things that he probably wouldn't, you know, say is what I had in mind for you, child. So having that prayerful, without ceasing awareness of God is a good way to have accountability that says, am I living my life? Am I talking to people? Am I thinking about things the way I should? Because God's with me because he is with me. And a person that lives a life that is focused on prayer prays for everything, not only what they want, not only what they need, but even in, in lament, right? Lament, there's a, a biblical word of just, you know, suffering and just being down. And, and two-thirds of that statement probably makes sense, right? It's, it's easy to pray for the things we, we need, right? Because we, we desperately, you know, and we even say, give us our daily bread, we our needs. And we pray for our wants. Lord, increase my land. That's scriptural. Prayer of Jabez, you know. He says, increase my land. You know, give, give me the things I want to. But what about lamenting? During our recent studies on the prayers of the Psalms, we discovered a common theme or, or one that was revealed to me anyway. There seemed to be a cycle to the psalmist's words. And I want to share an example or two and see if you detect it. So from Psalm 62, it says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. All right. You know, David's off to a great start with us when he's acknowledging who God is. Now, verse three, how long will you assault me? Would all of you, you thrown me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths, they bless, but in their hearts, they curse. Okay, so now he's, he's taking a turn. This is verse three and four where he said, okay, the, Lord, I'm, this is what I'm dealing with. In verse five, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Okay, what about Psalm 102? So this is the prayer of an afflicted person who's grown weak, and, and again, he's praying out his lament. It says, hear my prayer, Lord. Let me cry for help. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. And then he goes on to the lament. 
for my days vanished like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. It goes on and goes on. And then things turn at verse 12. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Maybe you can hear a little bit of a cycle. It starts with a respectful start, this acknowledgement of the greatness of God. And then turns quickly to this lament. Right, I'm suffering, I, I'm in pain, I am sick, I, you know, or people have turned on me. Then it's almost as if the author works to the lament as it is shared, and they come to conclusions like we heard, you, Lord, sit enthroned. Your renown endures for all generations. You will arise and have compassion, or, or from the previous psalm. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and salvation. The, the, I think they. I think they come to this. Um, this realization as they're as they're lamenting and praying. So the question is: Is if God knows what's troubling you, then why do you need to speak to Him about it? Why do you need to tell Him if He already knows? But can you understand a little now the greater purpose of prayer, the therapy, the spiritual therapy of prayer? See, a genuine prayer comes from deep places. Not from the memory of the mind, but from the joys and fears and everything else we cram down deep inside of us. Healthy prayer comes from the soul out of the deep emotions contained within it. Praying like this for others shows love, even if, even if they don't know that, that we're praying for them. It shows a love and a care for them. And this, is, this is a commandment. You know, just as we saw with the fruits of the Spirit as an undeniable product of a healthy faith. We couldn't help but have these things bubble out of us, this joy and this peace. A life focused on prayer produces its own kind of fruit as well. You see, it's an act of thanksgiving. Not just the words, but it's an appreciation in spirit of who God is. As you're talking to him, you're, you're revealing a spirit of, of thankfulness. You have a God that hears, even if you don't say that to him. It's an act of love to God. Right? I love you enough to talk to you. It's an act of God to others. I, I love you enough that I'm going to pray for you or about you. It's an act of love for ourselves. I care enough about myself that I'm going to ask God to do these things for me or reveal this for me or use me. You know, one that sometimes troubled us, Luke 6, 27 through 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Wow, that's hard to do, right? But doesn't this sound like the spirit of love or the spirit of peace or the spirit of patience or kindness or generosity or gentleness or, or even self-control when you think they deserve a, a sock in the mouth, right? Yeah. I had a, I had a, a good friend, and I, it's been a while since I've, I've shared this story, and um, there are a couple that I befriended in, in Dallas and I had a horrible, horrible boss of this company I worked for, and it was pretty widely known what this guy was like. And, and they would say, I need you to stop and pray for Jack right now. And I said, or no, they'd say, pray for Jack. And I'd say, okay, I will. I know I need to. I, you know, right now, like, put the phone down. I'll, we will hear you. And they made me do it. And it was therapeutic. I didn't like the guy anymore, but it softened your heart to pray for someone. And I think that that's a part of the therapy of, of praying for others. Number one is, is when you're praying for something, a blessing for them, um, it softens your heart and it shows a love and compassion and it, it just 
it just takes away that sting and of that stuff that you always feel like you've got to have the control and the, the, you know, the upper hand on these things. Just give it to God because he's a better judge of, of what's right and wrong and who's good and not good. But living a life that is focused on prayer is something that others will notice. Acts 16.25, now it's Paul, the apostle Paul and Silas that are imprisoned. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, do you think these other prisoners were thinking these guys have lost their mind? Or do you think they are on fire for this God of theirs, that they would be praising him in the midst of this prison? I mean, didn't we even hear Jesus say, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. And that changed the heart of the people, some of the people that were around him at that moment, including, you know, the, the, the criminal to his, to his side who was also dying, you know, and he made that decision because he witnessed it. And so we have a great privilege and a great responsibility to let others notice what we're doing, not for show, but because they can observe the genuine love we have for God. Now, do you think along those lines in the early days of the pandemic, you know, there was widespread fear and, and panic and, and churches couldn't gather, actually. No one could gather, with churches, but, but there were people that, that noticed that Christians found ways to continue, to go online or to meet and spread out or, or to do prayer groups. or we, That's where our midweek Bible study came from as a, a need to stay connected during the week when we, when we couldn't be. You know, do you think that that made a difference to people? Do you think they noticed that this is so important to them that they would find a way to still get together, to worship and learn and pray? I guarantee it did. There may be some who thought we were crazy, but I tell you what, God loves the commitment. And you see, prayer is an expression of faith. I talk to a living God. I talk to a Savior that is at work still today. I believe that. I talk to a God that loves and cares about me. I talk to a God that will hear my prayers and respond. And there's no shortage of scripture about this. Jeremiah 29, 12, all the way back in the First Testament. God says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. That's a promise. If we talk, he listens. Our, our, our scripture today, if my children will just turn from their ways and, and talk to me, right? Come to me, then I will. If they would do this, I promise I will. Psalm 5, 3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. I, I love that. This guy's starting off with prayer. It's a great way to start your day. And I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly, right? With anticipation, because God, you're gonna do something with it. I expect it. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, right? Be alert, we're ready. God's gonna do something with this. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's his promise. And one last one, Hebrews 4, 16, then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's not an overbearing Lord that says, you don't deserve this, right? He's like, now you can deserve this. Come to me in confidence. Humbly, right? We can come in confidence and ask for and say what we need to say. And because of all this, we have peace. Psalm 4.1, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
And the last in instructions from the Apostle Paul. We know this one well, Philippians 4, 6 or 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. So we talk to God and we tell him what we need. We're asking with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not saying that he's going to answer your prayer in the time and the way you want. But he's saying, if you do this, right, then the peace of God will be with you. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. There's plenty for us to worry about. But he's saying, bring it to me. Have faith in me. And then this is a bit of a model prayer in itself, right? In every situation. So always come by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you now as your church. And we hear your message. You want to hear from us. We say, is that it, God? You just want to hear from us? Is that all you want from us is to talk to you? Of course not. But it starts with us talking so we can have that relationship. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this series, that we've looked at the important aspects of focusing our lives on the scripture as a means of guidance, a means of, of warning, as a means of, of just learning more about your nature as we've talked about the Holy Spirit and its role within us as our advocate and helper. So we have two intercessors on our part. Lord, as we've talked about living a life focused on what it means to be individual members of this united body that is called the church. And as we're reminded of the importance of prayer, Lord, help us to regain focus in these areas of our lives and apply them so that we can be intentional Christians. May others be lifted up by by the changes made within us. Help us to guide others into a relationship with you. Father, this week as we go into Memorial Day and we as a nation remember those who've given our life, we don't ever want to forget about the one who gave his life for us as well, that gave us true freedom for eternity. So Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, there are things that we've done maybe even as recent as this week that have, that have led to that time on the cross. And you say, if my children will just turn from their ways and come to you. So we do that now, Lord. In our hearts, we ask for your forgiveness for what we've done. Help us to reconcile with you, to, to grow closer to you and to be that light to others in this world. We love you. We accept your love to us. And we thank you for who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.